It was great. Good to see you this morning. Well, this summer we're hearing the faith stories of those who have boots on the ground in the real world, and that continues again today. Some of it's messy, some of it's a work in progress, but all of it is the real deal. I've been greatly encouraged by these stories. Now, Don, as he mentioned, and, and Ryan last week have stirred the pot, and I'm really hoping that these uh, stories will be like a spiritual red bull to our soul, uh, just to awaken us and perhaps reawaken our faith. And beyond that, that we might all come to a point where we're open to doing what the scriptures say. And as we've been looking at Jesus' words, what do the scriptures say? What do the scriptures say? We don't have to figure this out. We have to know what the scriptures say. And in our context today, here's what the scriptures are saying. Accept each other just as Christ has accepted you. It comes from Romans 15, 7. Accept each other just as Christ has accepted you. Now think about that for a moment. How did Jesus accept you? Were there conditions to his acceptance? Any restrictions? No, he did it willingly and very, very lovingly. Now, that word accept in Scripture is, in fact, an imperative which makes it a command. It's not a suggestion for the people of God in the church in Rome. This was a command. It's a command from God to accept each other. Now, that word means to welcome or receive in the original language. So this is not an option that we have. If we say we're the people of God, then we need to act like the people of God. And this is one of those pieces to how the people of God should be treating one another. Accept one another just as Christ has accepted you. Now, accepting someone means we love just as they are. We love them just as they are with all their hurts and hang-ups with all of their beliefs and behaviors that don't align with ours. That's hard to do, especially in today's world. My love for someone is revealed by my acceptance of them, not necessarily in my agreement with the decisions they make or don't make. That's important, so let me restate that. My love for someone else, my acceptance of someone else is based on what Jesus has done for me. Therefore, I am commanded to accept them just as they are, accept them as they are, without necessarily aligning myself with what they believe or what they behave. Make sense? Everybody says, oh yeah, I agree with that. Oh, do you really? (laughs) Ha, 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 ha. It's possible, really I think possible, to be in a relationship with someone and not agree with their decisions or their choices. How do I know that? Because Jesus accepts me just the way I am. Does Jesus agree with every choice that I make? Every choice that I've made or will make today or tomorrow? Will he agree with those choices? Not necessarily, but will he accept me just the way that I am? And will that be based on his love for me? Not for me to perform for him. But it's based on the love that he has for me that he showed at the cross by giving his life for me. Correct? So you're accepted just the way that you are. And we must then turn around and accept others just the way that they are. Ooh, this gets tough. Especially with your spouse, right? 
So how do we do this? <laughs> the Lord is not asking us to always agree, but to always accept. Now, Paul used the same word in Romans 14. Here's what he said. Welcome or accept with open arms fellow believers who don't see the things the way you do and don't jump all over them every time they do or say something you don't agree with. Remember, they have their own history to deal with. Remember, they have their own history to deal with. They have their own story. And so our response must be treat them gently. And we are becoming a nation of shouters and we have forgot what it means to treat people gently and with kindness. And so let's come back to what the Scriptures say, shall we? Let's practice what the Scriptures say. Let's obey what the Scriptures say. So, why did Paul write these verses in Romans 14 and 15? What's happening in the church in Rome? Well, I've already explained to you that many of the Gentiles have been rescued from a life of worshiping false gods. And they were freaked out by their Jewish Christian brothers and sisters who invite them over for a barbecue and serve meat that had been offered to the idols that they once worshipped. This was repulsive to them. We used to worship these gods. How in the world could you invite us into this thing? On the other hand, the Gentile believers didn't follow the Jewish regulations with all of its feasts and festivals and rules and regulations. And that really upset the Jewish Christians. So you've got the Gentiles and the Jews. They're both followers of Jesus, but they're clashing like this. So Paul writes in Romans 14 and 15, clear instructions. How do you handle this in the body of Christ? What do we do with this? Each group was offended by the other. I hear it all the time. I'm offended by you. Each judged and condemned the other. Each thought that they were right. And if they were right, that means the other person wrong. And where is the acceptance in that? It's an old problem that exists today. And it always will exist in the church. Battle lines replace boundaries of love. But fight and argue and judge we do. And of course, unity suffers. The unity that Jesus died to provide in the world wonders. What is it about these people? They're no different than anybody else. And so... Paul reminds us two things. I've already talked to you about these, but we're going to keep hammering. Let's be people of strong convictions. Let's be people of strong convictions. We need people with some backbone based on the Word of God and a love for Jesus to stand up and say, this is right or this is wrong. We need people of strong convictions. Here's what Paul said. One man considers one day more sacred than another. Another man considers every day alike. This was some of the clashing that was going on over the Jewish calendar. And then he says this. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Be fully convinced in your own mind. That's a good thing. Be fully convinced. Don't be wavering back and forth. Be fully convinced. Be fully convinced. And then he says, number two... Let's keep our convictions to ourselves. Let's keep our convictions to ourselves. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. NLT says you may believe there's nothing wrong with what you're doing, but keep it between yourself and God. So here's where we are in our country today. You have a conviction. You have a conviction about a mask. You have a conviction about your political Party. You have a conviction about the vaccine. I don't give a rip about your conviction. I really don't. I really honestly don't give a rip. But you're willing to die on the hill 
of a mask or a vaccine. Are you kidding me? And rather than accepting what we do is we form a very strong conviction. Do we keep it between ourselves and God? No, we jump on a computer, we sit there and we type out a response in which we clearly voice our convictions. Now, if you are doing that, if you are involved in that, I would suggest that perhaps you take a look at your convictions and what you're doing with them because if you're putting them out there for the world to see, I think that is a direct violation of what is being taught in Scripture. Be people of strong conviction. Whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. I am not interested in your conviction. i got a feeling a whole bunch of other people are not interested in your conviction. I'm more interested in the fact that you accept. And I accept. And I learn to love. And I'm learning this process. Yeah, at my age. Don, we're both 65, right? When are you 66? In May, I'll be in November, so I got a little bit of a lead on you there, right? You still learning how to do this? Yeah. Yeah, this is the person I want to become more and more. I don't have this all together. I struggle too. Because I want to be quick to give you my conviction about what you should do, how you should behave, what you should believe. Keep it between yourself and God. Unless someone asks you, unless someone invites you into that Jesus conversation, Keep it between yourself and God, would you? Maybe stay off the keyboard just a little bit more. And let's learn to love each other. And the world's watching and waiting for a group of people who will do this right. Be people of strong conviction. Please hear what I'm saying. Be strong. But then keep it between yourself and God. Just live it out. Live it out. That's all. That's all. Okay? Okay. Enough of my preaching. That's not what we're here to see today. Okay? Any questions about that? Does everybody understand that? Right? Everybody? Any questions? Okay, good. Been watching the Olympics some last week by winning the women's all-around gymnastic event. Suni Lee became the first Hmong American to compete in the Olympic Games ever and the first Hmong American gold medal winner. Now, for Hmong communities in Wisconsin, it was a moment of joy and healing. Yahoo! Yay! Right? Right? Asians across America needed this win. Why? Why? There are 23 million Asian Americans in this country. Since the pandemic began, a poll suggests that one out of every three fears, fears that they will be attacked. Many of them have. Why? Because you brought COVID to this country. I don't care if you're Korean or Japanese or Filipino. It's just, it's just a mindset that boggles me. Boggles me. Understand, hate crimes overall increased last year by 2%. Horrible. Hate crimes against Asians rose by 146%. Asian hate is real. Asians are the fastest growing racial group in this country between 2000 and 2000 or 2019, 20-year period. Asian population grew by 81%, outpacing Hispanics 70%. Black population grew by 20%. While there is virtually no change among the cocks, 
we're just kind of holding the line, right? Which means we're getting outnumbered. And I'm really excited about that. Our nation is changing. Our city is changing. I went to Brat Days yesterday. I was just looking at the people. And the Caucasians were outnumbered. And I'm thinking, this is cool. Because this is the changing community in which we are living now. But we're holding on. We're holding on the way it was. Sheboygan population in the most recent census was 48,560. Among were 4,700 of that population in this city. And they're here. They're here. How'd the Hmong get here? I just, uh, this is important to me. You know, I came from Asia before coming here to Sheboygan, and so this is a big deal for me. It's a really good question. How'd the Hmong get here? From 1959 to 1975, Laos was in a civil war. Long time. It was communism versus the royal Lao government. The CIA and the United States of America joined in as what's called the, the secret war uh, from 1964 to 1973. And during those years, the U.S. dropped the equivalent of a plane load of bombs every eight minutes, 24 hours a day for nine years, making Laos the most heavily bombed country in the history of the world. Now, Hmong farmers didn't drive cars because they didn't know what a car was and there was none to drive. But they learned to fly American fighters. These Hmong pilots made thousands of sorties against the North Vietnamese. Their colleagues on the ground would rescue American flyers. Uh, They would gather intelligence. They would fight bravely. Tens of thousands, tens of thousands uh, died as a result of military action, hunger, disease, being massacred by the North Vietnamese. And so the Lao Hmong and American Veterans Memorial at the Land Park, how many of you have been there, seen that? We all walk by it. I suggest you take a moment, you start looking at the names, and you thank God for those names that are on that memorial at the Land Park, those who fought alongside each other, Lao Hmong Americans. So when the United States pulled out of Vietnam in 1975, the Hmong and Laos were basically hung out to dry and understand uh, We've got these countries, and they're only miles apart, right? You don't have to travel very far. Some 300,000 crossed the Mekong River into Thailand. I've been there where they crossed. I've also been to the Mekong Delta in Vietnam. Sometimes under a hail of bullets, and eventually they found homes of a sort in refugee camps. And our Hmong neighbors in Sheboygan came largely from those Thai refugee camps to Wisconsin, Minnesota, California, where they're mostly found. But understand, the Hmong have not had an easy time in their new surroundings coming here to America. Unemployment, racism, loneliness, isolation, language difficulties, poverty, intergenerational tensions now between first, second, now third generation Hmong have made this transition very difficult. And if you ask someone who has come through the refugee camps and ask them about suicide in Laos. They'd say, we never knew about suicide in Laos. You look at the suicide rate among Hmong. Because I'm here, uh, this is what I want to say. The Hmong are not in Wisconsin by choice. We Caucasians have all kinds of choices. They are not here by choice. 
They are here to survive. They've been lifted from their home country. They've been brought here to America. They're not in Wisconsin by choice. They are here by circumstance. But in God's economy, I don't think there's any accident to you. God does everything with plan and purpose. And so our church has been one of many who welcomed the Hmong to Sheboygan. And I'm proud of that, that way before I got here, this church was involved. Bill, where are you? Bill. Uh, Bill's a veteran here and uh, has had an understanding. He's going to share with us just a couple of minutes while Steve wants you come on up too. About uh, Southside and the Hmong. Morning. Hey, Bill. Um, I started here in uh, June of, uh, well, maybe actually it was April of 1881. It feels like 1881. <laughs> 1881. It may feel that way to you, too, actually, <laughs> that I've been here that long. Um, but when I came, uh, the, the church had already sponsored a number of Hmong families, and they were um, worshiping with us, many didn't have a language uh, that they would understand the worship, but it was lovely to sit in church and have the Hmong families there, and we worshiped together and, and spent time together. Um, as their numbers grew, then they came to us and said, we'd like to start our own. And they started a church, had a pastor, and they would meet in our church building and uh, have services in the afternoon. So we would come in in the morning, and then as we're leaving, they're coming in and having the afternoon, and we spent uh, a number of years like that. Then we were going to expand the church, and the Hmong came alongside, and I could still remember uh, Jack Hammer working in the basement um, with some of the Hmong men, and the women were out on the grass. I don't know if any of you kids remember this. They were out on the grass, and they were chipping the cement off the bricks so we could reuse the bricks. And so we worked together quite a bit. We would meet together um, at times, and um, I have been to their picnics, and they are just an amazing experience. But one thing, my conviction is, I cannot play katao. I can't play that game. I can't spin up in the air. Am I saying it right? Katao with the ball and the left, and you jump up. Okay, I'm not doing so good. All right. Well, I, I played it worse than I'm saying um, but we had a great relationship with the Hmong. And as the generations have changed, then they, they came to us, I think it was in 1995, and said, we want to have our own church. And then we said, well, we were thinking of building something else, going somewhere else. So they bought our building over on uh, 11th Street, and it was a blessing um, for both of us. It was a win-win, as you know, we like to say and now they have their own facility out on County Trunk A, and uh, we have a good relationship with them. We've spent uh, Christmas Eve services together, and uh, it's, it's been good. And we appreciate the Hmong people that have come here, not by choice, as we've heard. But God brought you here. Yes. And uh, it's just amazing how we've been able to, um, how you've been able to transition into, you know, this culture we have and have really succeeded well. You are highly respected, I think, in the community, especially in the banking community. You guys know what you're doing. So I just want to say thank you for um, fellowshipping with us 
and bringing a new perspective, uh, a greater love for the Lord, and walking this journey with us as we move to arise and, and we arise and we move to our new building and all those things. We're in this together. So thank you and we love you. Wonderful. All right. Thank you, Bill. Uh, this is Steve Shong. Steve is an elder here at Arise Church. I am so proud of Steve uh, being willing to serve in that way. And Steve is going to be sharing with us, thanks Bill, uh, a little bit. And, and I hope we're going to practice what we just talked about, about accepting one another. I'm not asking you to agree with everything Steve says because that's his perspective. But I want you to know that I love you, and I'm so glad that you're willing to share. Because for an Asian to share like this uh, is not an easy thing to do. But if we are going to truly become a multicultural church, this is absolutely necessary. So, Steve, I want you to start by telling us a bit of who you are, your story about coming to Jesus, uh, your family growing up, and your family currently. Actually, I'm not on. I'm sorry. <laughs> I was muted. Um, uh, I would like to think that my story is um, a little bit different from the typical little Hmong boy growing up. Um, I was born in La Crosse. Oh, I'll explain in a little bit. Um, I was born in La Crosse, um, city, city of La Crosse, and um, by the time I knew it, probably three years old, we moved to Sheboygan. And uh, uh, prior to that, my, my father was going to school to become a, a teacher. And so he, he had graduated uh, in La Crosse, and so that's the reason why we moved to Sheboygan, because he found a job. He actually became um, a history teacher in Sheboygan here, and so that's why we moved here. Um, had friends, um, you know, here, and, you know, it was great time. I mean, I went to school at Jefferson Elementary School, and then next thing you know, we're moving to Howard's Grove, and so um, the Hmong kids that I actually had uh, built up in Sheboygan here, I had to let go. I had no way of contacting them. There was no Facebook then, right? <laughs> um, I didn't have a cell phone. I lost all contact with all of my Hmong friends, and so moving out from Sheboygan, which was very diverse, to Howard's Grove was predominantly white. I was the only Asian kid in the entire school, <laughs> in elementary, middle school, and in high school, in Howard's Grove. I was the only Asian uh, kid, well, you know, besides my, my uh, brothers and sisters, of course. Um, so growing up, I was in a, essentially whitewashed, right? So all my friends were white. I spoke English. Um, I mean, my best friend was white. His name was Ken Schmidt, and I, you know, I, I went over to his house and, you know, for uh, to spend the night there. You know, a couple times as kids, you build forts and stuff and stuff. Um, but um, going back, going back to my time in Sheboygan, though, um, there was a um, there's an accident. Obviously, you see the scars on my face. Um, it, was a, it was a brutal car accident. I didn't have my seatbelt on at the time. I flew out the window, and um, uh, my parents told me that I was laying right next to the highway, right? So I was, like, on the median that you're driving, at, right, you're driving down the highway, and there's a median. I was right there, and cars were flying by. 
who knows? Uh, you know, if, if there was a car that just swerved, there was a car behind, behind us and just swerved, I mean, that car could have hit me and I would have died. Um, so that was that. Uh, of course, obviously I had surgery and, and all that. Um, and then that's when we moved to, uh, to Hards Grove again. Sorry, I'm like going back and forth. But uh, we moved to, to Hards Grove, spent a couple years there. And then next thing you know, I, it was during the spring of 1998. And um, I, you know, I was playing on the, uh, the playground set. Um, the, the bell was ringing for us to go inside. And uh, I decided, you know what, I'm going to go down the slide one more time. So I go down the slide. I'm about to get off of that slide. And my friend, my, my best friend that, that I was telling you about, he comes down, he swipes my feet. And I do a somersault. I flip. And I hit my, the back of my head on, uh, on the, the wood chips. And at that time, it was, the, the wood chips were still frozen at that time. So I hit my head. I wake, I, I, I get up, and the entire world is just sort of going like this. It's just spinning. I'm falling over. I remember being, uh, being taken into the, um, into the office. And uh, before long, my mother was there. And I, I was very sleepy, and uh, the paramedics came, and they, they were trying to wake me up. And, you know, every time I would try to fall asleep, I, they would, you know, wake up, wake up, don't fall asleep. Uh, turns out that I actually had lost full hearing in my right ear. Um, so here I am, a, a kid who's six years old. I've gone through a car accident, and now I've lost complete hearing in my right ear. Um, so you would imagine that sort of... Being Asian already, I mean, I'm going to already feel in a different way. And then on top of that, to have the scars and to, to have, you know, complete lo- uh, hearing loss in my right ear, um, it, was, it, it was, you know, it, it, it played a toll on, on how I, on the things that I did. You know, I wouldn't go out and hang out as much because I was afraid that, you know, my, even, even my own friends would view me differently, my image, you know, how they're going to talk to me and, you know, what they're gonna say? Oh, what happened to your to your face? And um, but yeah, g- growing up, I was very I was very talkative. You know, despite all of my scars, despite all of the things that happened, I was still very talkative. I spoke to, I was, yeah, I was like pretty much an extrovert. You know, like I was like the person that everybody knew. Maybe maybe it's because I was the only Asian kid, but. Um, and then, uh, fast forward a couple of years, I I went to um, to the Howard's Grove Elementary and Middle School. And then, during my freshman year in high school, I decided I wanted to go to Sheboygan South High School. And there, for for some reason, I I just decided I wanted to go there. Um, I went there, and there were a ton of Hmong people, and that was completely weird to me. Uh, maybe it's maybe it's like the same feeling that like white people. If you go if you go to like a completely like mm-hmm. uh, in an area that's completely full of Hmong people, that's mm-hmm. I mean, and you feel kind of weird. I mean, mm-hmm. that's probably how you felt. But for me, it was weird because they're Hmong people. I'm Hmong, but and yet I feel weird. Why did I feel weird? Because they're talking Hmong. And but like I said, throughout my entire years, like I, I grew up whitewashed in a sense, right? <laughs> uh, so. It was very weird to me, you know, and every time they were talking Hmong to me, I mean, I, I understood and I was able to uh, speak in Hmong back to them, but it was weird, you know. I'm so used to 
they, they would talk to me in Hmong, yet I would res respond back in English, right? <laughs> um, and then uh, my, my junior year and my, well, my sophomore year and my junior year, I decided, you know what, this, this, this whole thing wasn't for me. Like, like I, I don't really like it. I didn't really make any friends. Uh, I'm going to go back to Howard's Grove. So my sophomore year and junior year, I went back to, um, to Howard's Grove. And everything was back to normal. I was seeing my old, seeing my old friends, you know, reconnected. And then in my senior year, for some reason, I decided, you know what, I'm going to go graduate at North High School. So, <laughs> so here I am. I've been to Jefferson Elementary School. I've been to, uh, you know, the uh, elementary in Howard's Grove and the middle school in, in Howard's Grove. I went to South High School for my freshman year, back to Howard's Grove, and then graduating at North High School. So I've been to three different high schools. How many people can say that they've been to three different high schools? <laughs> Nobody, right? <laughs> and so... Um, uh, yeah, that was my time growing up as, as just as an individual. Uh, you want to know my story about how I came yeah, to Yeah, well, spiritually, church? what was going on in your life during those years? Uh, well, when I was 11 years old, I decided to pick up um, a guitar, my brother's guitar that he was no longer using. And um, I, I, wanted, I wanted to be cool. You know, I wanted to be cool. I wanted to play the, the guitar. I wanted to, uh, you know, impress all my friends and... Um, so that's how that's how I really that's how I really uh, got into um, ministry at church because I picked up the guitar and like I said I was deaf in my one ear but I only learned to play by listening I, I learned from playing by ear and so you know I would spend countless hours you know practicing the guitar practicing the worship songs you know during uh, that uh, that we're going to be playing for that for that week I mean I wasn't going to be up on the stage but you know I I. I'd play those worship songs just so I could learn them. And then uh, I was 18 years old, and we had just, the Monk Church, we had, we had just hired a new, uh, new pastor. His name was Pastor Chang. You know mm -hmm. Pastor Chang? He's now a missionary in Africa. Um, he just said, look, Steve, our, our worship leader at the time, he had just stepped down. He just did a, a no-show, right? And then my pastor, then he just said, hey, look, Steve, you're going to go out there. I'm like, I've never done this before. <laughs> I've never led before. I've never even sung in front of a crowd before. And so he just, he just pushed me out. And you know what? The Holy Spirit just moved, and he did his thing, and we were all worshiping. And before long, I was the worship leader there at, at uh, Community Alliance Church with, with Phil Amico. Um, I mean, they were a huge, huge step. And they, they were a huge uh, reason why I am sort of where I am today with, with ministry as well. Um, and then, of course, growing up, uh, I became like a, a sponsor for um, for the high schoolers. Um, and Chewy was it was one that I had sort of mentored. Uh, you know, he was up here just singing and leading worship, and it just brings me so much joy to see um, Chewy. You know, especially uh, you know people that I have mentored up on stage worshiping and just giving God all the glory. And so, yeah. Is that Tell us about your family now. My direct my hmm? with Amy or my yeah. yeah yeah or my family my with, direct family with Amy and your kids. Uh, well, I my wife Amy she is part of the worship team as well. Um, 
she's actually down. She's not here. She's actually downstairs with uh, with the kids. And uh, I have two kids, two daughters, uh, three and a half year old and a one year old. Uh, the three and a half year old is called Heartland. We call her Heart for short. Um, and you know, like whenever we're texting or anything, we use the heart emoji to just sort of say heart. And so that's kind of her thing. And then uh, the younger one is Skylar. And it's, it's so crazy because her personalities are so different, right? Heart is, uh, she was, at the age of nine months, she started walking. And then at the age of 10 or 11, she was doing sign language with us. And by the time she's like, what? Well, by the time she was 11 months, she was already like running. And now Skylar, who is like one year old, like one year old, like she can barely just hobble along and walk, <laughs> you know. And she's Skylar is very uh, she gets she gets uh, her temper maybe maybe from me, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's just so it's just so fun and uh, interesting just to see how they interact with each other. But yeah, great. Now. For many Hmong, when they leave the Hmong context of uh, their culture, and particularly as, in, as Christians, it's very difficult for them to uh, go to a church that isn't Hmong. Uh, yep. Because in the Hmong church, they preach and teach and sing in Hmong, at least the first gens do. And uh, what was that process like for you to actually leave the Hmong context? Now, you've had that experience growing up where you've kind of flipped back and forth, but as an adult now, how was that for you leaving? Yeah, it's, um, it was pretty hard, um, leaving. Um, we, we didn't leave the Hmong church on, on, on bad terms. Uh, we just, we, we left because we, we had just, we felt that God was calling us somewhere else. And, um, uh, it's just like growing up in your own house. You know, you, you grow up as a kid in your own house, and then when time comes, you're, you're, you leave. Um, but family is still going to be family. Um, so Amy and I, we were, we were married, and we, we were talking about, you know, you know, I think God's calling us somewhere else. And so we decided to, to come here to, to Southside. And my father, uh, he didn't take that um, lightly. Um, so in the Hmong culture, when you they have a saying. The Hmong, the Hmong people, they have a saying, right? That saying is, Hmong, you Hmong. And what that means is, if you're Hmong, you're, you're obligated to help your Hmong people, right? Unless, unless like, you're moving, like, from city to city, and you, you can no longer, you know, make, you, you can no longer attend that church, then, or you can no longer be there, then, then that's fine. But if you're still in the city sort of like this and you, you move and you go to a different location, then it's sort of like a slap in the face to them. And saying, especially going from a, a Hmong church to a, a, to a white church, I'm going to call this a white church, um, that, that's a bigger slap in the face because, like, what? They're, they're, their mentality is, the Hmong culture is that if you leave the Hmong church and you go to a white church, that's, it's like you're leaving your people, you know, and... And they, they don't take that lightly. And so my father, he didn't take that lightly. He, um, he was more concerned about his image, you know, the, how the Hmong community would view uh, him and our family and how they're going to talk behind his back. And um, So, yeah, I, 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 I got into a huge argument with my father um, about that. Uh, we, were still, we were still living, uh, my, Amy and I, we were still living with my parents. We were married, but we were broken. 
one of those things where, oh man, what, what were we thinking, right? But anyway, um, we were still living with our parents and, you know, after that argument, I just got fed up and said, you know, we're going to move. We're, we're going to just go. And Amy wasn't home at, the, home at the time, but I called her and said, hey, look, you need to come home now because we're, we're moving. Right? And she's like, what, where, are we, where are we moving? We don't have a house. Right? We, it's like, you don't even have a job, Steve. I'm like, ah, we'll figure it out, right? Um, thankfully, um, I have a loving sister-in-law and brother-in-law, um, Phil Miko. Um, we went over and stayed with them for a couple of months, um, you know, just to try to work things out. But, uh, but yeah, I, there's, uh, to this day, I, I have a good relationship with my father. I mean, we haven't, we haven't talked about that. We haven't made mm-hmm. things right. You know, it's definitely not in the Hmong culture to, to, um, to go back and talk to somebody and, you know, ask for forgiveness, especially the father. Uh, it's, it's just, in the Hmong culture, the father is just at, at the top. Like, you can't, whatever, even if they're wrong, they're right, you know. Um, and so, uh, I, I know Amy has talked to me, and like, Steve, you should probably go back and talk to your father and just try to make things right. Um, but I, I, I have a good relationship with my father now. It's just that those, um, like, I'll send my daughters to, to their house, and they'll wash them. Um, but there's still, you know, there's still that argument that we have that, um, and that's not the only argument that we had. There's one during the wedding that we had, too, which I won't talk about but <laughs> uh but yeah that that, w- that was sort of our time leaving the church uh leaving uh, the monk church and um the struggle with that tension's still there now yeah when we interviewed you for elders that was a profound moment for me because you looked at that group of caucasian elders and you said this is a white church. This is a Caucasian church. Even though we talk about being multicultural and all the rest, uh, it's a mentality, it's an attitude. From your perspective, what makes this a Caucasian church? Well, just look around, right? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Um, I mean, that, you know, to, to put it bluntly, I mean, that's, pro- that's probably it too, right? Um, just, just look at the people, right? Um, mm-hmm. But, um, you know, having, of course, having a, a white pastor and then white elders, white staff, you know, um, at that time, I mean, Miko was probably the only one that's, or maybe it was Phil, that was the only one that's, that was on staff that was a different, uh, that was not white. Um, you know, when I was still at the Hmong church, we would, we would say this, uh, we would say in Hmong, uh, uh, we go to the Mika church, right? Or so we say Mika, that means white, right? And so we would go to the Mika church. And when we say that, we, we meant this church. We meant, we meant arise. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just, wherever we looked around, there was a white person. Every time we talked to somebody, it was somebody white. Um, but yeah, the, you are who you are, right? Sort of in a mm-hmm. sense, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, so how, what do we do about that? How do we overcome that idea for someone of color coming here and seeing this as a Caucasian church? Do you see that changing? Obviously, we get worship leaders and other people. Uh, you are now an elder 
And yeah. you've heard me say repeatedly that we will always be a Caucasian church unless we have people of color in decision-making positions in the church. In order to determine the course and direction of the church, uh, at that level of leadership, we will always be Caucasian until we have other voices that are adding to that. Now, that's the way that it is. Okay, we live in Sheboygan, Wisconsin. I get all that. I get all that. And yet, we look at the changing landscape of this community and every community across America, and times they are changing rapidly. So, from your perspective, how, what can we do, Steve, to make this more inviting, to make this more welcoming to someone who is not Caucasian? I think... um well, it's funny because, like, we look at the world, and the world is, or we look at America, and America is probably one of the most diverse countries in the entire world, and yet, like, every single church is so segregated still. I think there's a problem with that. Um, you know, there's still, like, Hmong churches, black churches, white churches, predominantly. Mm-hmm. Um, what can we do to uh, be more inviting? I think, I think one of the big things with, you know, coming from the Hmong church is that, or the, just being Hmong, is that, we're very family oriented, and I think that's one of the things that that sort of um, you know, these white churches. I'm sorry for lack of a better term. <laughs> uh, lack is is family. You know, you, you you guys have your own family, and then you sort of just stick to your own family. And you guys have your own family, you stick to your own family. You may have friends that you talk to, but you still just sort of stick to your to your own family. But in the monk church, it's like everyone is family. You know, we go on a when we go camping, the entire church is there. <laughs> you know. When we go eat at somebody's house, we, everyone is there. When there's a wedding, every, the entire church is there. When there's a funeral, the entire church is there. Um, and so it's like pretty much everything. It's like, like I could call someone else's parents my parents is essentially what it is. Like I, I knew them. They knew me. Um, and I, I feel like that's, that's sort of like a, a, a big area that's lacking in in. And if we're trying to if we're trying to be a church that's that's reaching everybody, we have to be a family. We have to be a church that's a family, and not just preach the good news. Because you know, not everybody is gonna want to hear that. You know, somebody who is coming off the streets, they're not gonna want to hear, "Oh, God is so good," when they're dealing with all their crap. You know, um, it, it's gonna be really hard for a monk person to come in here and feel like family because you know the people look different and the things that they do. They're still so segregated still, you know, and, you know, when you have your, when, when we have, like, our, our, the times that we eat together, you know, the, the food just isn't that good to us, you know, but I'm just, I'm just kidding. Um, I don't know, does that sort of answer your question? <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Good, good. And, you know, this is the kind of conversations we need to have as a church family, uh, because I'll push right back on the Hmong, and I'll say, uh, it's tough, tough to break in, to be quite frank with you. You guys will circle up after a service, and you all sit there in your little circle, um, and we have to be very intentional about breaking in there. So there's nothing wrong with any of this. Are you understanding what I'm saying? There's nothing wrong with any of this. But there's got to be some sense of intentionality if we're going to open the circle, either from black, white, I don't care what side it is, we've got to open the circle and let others in. Now, what I hear this guy saying, what just really 
energizes me is this concept of family. Because I've always said the church must be a family, right? It's got to feel like a family. It's got to feel welcoming, accepting like a family does. may not agree with you, but I'm still going to accept you, right? And so uh, we've got a lot to learn here. We have got a lot to learn. But what I found, and when we moved to this community uh, a little over a decade ago, uh, we were told by our neighbors, we've lived here eight years, and uh, we can't get to know anybody. They said everybody's got their own little family thing going, and if you're coming from outside of Sheboygan, then you're kind of viewed on the outside. Uh, it's hard to break in. Uh, you got to really kind of bulldoze in because everybody does their family things. Uh, Sunday after church and then during the week, it's all about this little group, right? Uh, but I, I, what I hear you saying is we've got to bring some of your tradition and background, some of the strengths of the Hmong people, into the body of Christ. Is that accurate? Yeah. Yeah. So give me some ideas off the top of your head. How do we do that? Well, um, the, well, the thing is, the thing is, family is like you sort of build family over a course of years, right? And it's sort of hard to just hold one event and say, "Oh, now we're family," which we're not family. <laughs> um, I still don't like you. You still don't like me, pretty much. Um, mm -hmm. I think we need to be intentional with the things that we do, not just um, come on Sunday and meet each other on a Sunday and then say hi and then say bye after church. Um, in the Hmong culture, there's no sense of time. Um, you know, whenever there was an event, you know, like somebody would say, hey, come over, and we'll ask, what time does it start? And then they would just say, just come over, right? Um, or, or we'll ask, when does it end? And they would just say, it'll end, when, it'll end whenever it ends, right? And that's, that's one of the sayings. Uh, you know, we'll ask, like, I'll ask my parents, when is it going to end? When, when is that event going to end? And they'll just say, in Hmong, um, right? And so it's like, whenever it ends, that ends, right? And so, like, like our church services, for example, like, they would start at 11 o'clock, and they could, for some reason, you know, one week could end at 1 o'clock, or the next week could end at 2 o'clock, but we didn't care. Well, we cared, but we didn't care. Um, because, you know, like our stomach's growling. And um, for the people who, you know, like the leaders uh, of the church, they would, you know, if they had a meeting right afterwards, they would probably just skip lunch or something like that. And so we were at church, like, from morning to, to dusk, right? Um, so uh, how, how do we become more like that? I don't know. I, I think it's a change of, of heart. It's a change of character. Really, really being intentional with who you meet and, talk to them and like if, if I'm different come talk to me I want to talk to you guys being long it's like I'm, I'm really scared to really come talk to you guys um, I'm, I'm, it's going to be really hard for like a monk person to approach you um, it, you know I've been in I've been in uh, you know the church here for a while so it's, it's more comfortable for me to approach you but you know if there is a random monk pe person who was here they probably would not come talk to you um, and you would never know their name and uh Good. This is the kind of conversations we're generating. I want you to know that at the leadership level. Uh, if we're truly going to be multicultural, this is going to take some conversations. So uh, what's your desire for RISE going forward? Then I'm going to take a couple of questions and we're done. Well, my desire for RISE is um, what I just had just said. I, I really want this to be a, like a family. Um, 
I, you know, I, it, it really, for me, I, I, I hold that on, my, on myself as well. Um, you know, I'm not doing a good job reaching out, even as, as an elder, right? <laughs> you know, as an elder, I'm like, man, I, I feel like I'm, I'm failing the church because I'm not going out and greeting people as, as much as I should. Um, but just being a family, you know, like Arise, I, I want us to be a family. I want us to be able to count on each other to, you know, maybe even go on a church camp together. Man, how crazy would that be? You know, going to camp with, with Don, you know? <laughs> Okay, but, you got a room with them. That's the all right. <laughs> um, but yeah, just a church that you know is just for for God, you know, reaching the lost. Uh, like I, right now, like I feel like it's we just sort of stick to ourselves. We just minister to ourselves. We worry about the things that you know only sort of impact the people of this church. Um, yeah. Good. Yeah. Good. I appreciate your honesty and transparency. Yeah. Again, this is difficult for a Hmong person to do. Kind of ironic, though, right? Because like I'm leading on, on like worship on stage, and yeah. yet I can't even share it, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. difficult. Yeah. But thank you. That was courageous. Uh, questions or comments that you would 